Well, good morning. If, um, if you have your Bible, you should get it out. And if you don't have a Bible and you have a phone that you can get a Bible on, that would be a good idea for this morning. And uh, go to Matthew chapter 11. And uh, it's just so good to be here and to see people around here. I couldn't find my glasses, though, so you all look a little fuzzy. But, uh, you know, you look great anyway. So, um, uh, but you know what? Um, sometimes life is a little messy, isn't it? Uh, we can go through challenges, difficulties. Life do often doesn't turn out the way that we want it to. Uh, sometimes circumstances really challenge us, and we just wonder, where is God in all of this? And I was thinking about this morning, we're going to be considering some lessons from the life of John the Baptist. And, uh, you know, I just, I love Jesus' message, and just the, the whole message of Scripture is follow God, honor God in your life, obey God in your life, and you will be blessed. And you just think about even the Sermon on the Mount, there's that whole section of Jesus saying, you know, blessed are those, and then he just lists all these things out. He says, seek first God's kingdom, and all these needs will be added to you, you'll be taken care of. I think about Psalm 1, where it just, uh, Psalm 1 ends, and it just talks about the person that loves God and loves God's word. And at the end of that, the last, the last sentence in that psalm just says, whatever this person does, in whatever they do, they'll prosper. And uh, I just think about how, how wonderful that is. And I think about all the blessings that come in life because we obey God. You know, I think about this, you know, you have, you have kids and you just teach them that, that you don't work for man, you work to please the Lord. And, and when you go to school and you're in school and you're studying, you're studying so that you can be well-educated, so that you can be respected in life, but not for you so that you can take all the respect and all the things that you do well and all of your intelligence and all of those things and you can use those to bring glory to God. That, that when, you, when you're in a science class and people go, okay, that is the smartest person in this whole class and they believe the Bible? Um, that you take everything you have and you're doing it for God's glory. When you go to work and you work hard, you're diligent because you want to please God. You don't work for a raise. You don't work for a position. You work to please the Lord. And it's just amazing. You know, you raise people in that way, and you just see all the really good things that happen in life, the promotions, the blessings, the, the financial success that goes along with a faithful Christian life. And then you see a lot of other people in life. And, and I, when I think about myself, I was raised in church, and I ignored all those things, and I didn't do anything that the Bible said I should do. And in my life, I suffered for it. And there were plenty of people who said, hey, Roger, don't do that. Don't go that direction. Don't do this thing. And I'm just like, no, actually, I just I want to have fun and don't really care what you or the Bible says. And then I think about all the pain and sorrow and suffering that came into my life because of that. And, um, you know, that, that is, and I just want you guys to know something. Everything I just said, it's all in Scripture. It's all biblical. And it's also what is wrong with the health, mess, health wealth message. God wants everybody happy and successful and wonderful. Because all those things are in the Bible, and all those things are true sometimes. But there's a lot of other things that the Bible says as well. Sometimes... Um, the same faithfulness that gets you a raise and gets you a promotion and maybe gets you a house and gets you all these things in your life because it's just God sovereignly blessing what you do and also 
doing the right things is helpful in life. Sometimes the, the same commitment to the Lord that gets you those things is what will remove them all. Because one day, standing for Christ, you know, everybody wants to promote the guy who works hard, whether anybody's looking or not. But then somebody else stands, you may stand for Christ on a different issue and get yourself fired. And you may, you may be brought to a crossroads where you have to decide, um, am I doing this for what I get? And, and this is the thing I, that I discover in life. When a person is driven and motivated by a desire to please the Lord, that many times brings with it blessing. But also, if the person's really driven by a desire to please the Lord, they'll happily say goodbye to any blessings in their life when that's what it takes to please the Lord. So life is difficult. Life is a challenge. Jesus promises struggle and difficulty in life. And that's why I love what we're going to do today. We're going to read about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a faithful man who loved the Lord. We're going to look at what God says about John the Baptist. But from a human perspective, if you take a step back and you look at his life, you're probably not saying, I would like to end up like that. Like it kind of seems like didn't, things didn't work out too well for him. But I just want you to know, things worked out wonderfully for John. So let's, let's read this. You know, we're going to see uh, four things in this passage this morning, um, in these passages that we're going to be looking at. And, and one, the first one is just this. It's that good, faithful, solid Christian character sometimes brings struggle. And when Christians are struggling they turn to Jesus and to Scripture. And uh, the other thing that's just so awesome that we'll see in this passage is that when we're struggling and when we turn to Jesus, we have his approval whether or not that struggle is continuing. And uh, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> My notes just disappeared. Satan wanted to stop you from hearing anything. Didn't want me to be able to read the Bible here this morning. Um, and, but you know what? The, the final part is this, is that Christians have a heavenly hope. We don't just live for this life. We live for eternity. And actually, eternity colors everything about this life and what we do. So if you have your Bibles, let's just jump right in. And I want to throw a verse up on the screen while you're going to Matthew 11. And one of the things that I love about Craig's message last week, he was joking around that I gave him the hard part, which talks about all the suffering in Christianity. And he's training his disciples and he's saying, you're going to suffer. And I didn't, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And people in your own family are going to hate you. And you're going to be drugged before governors because of me. And don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words in the moment. But he's just telling his disciples, you're going to suffer. That's what it means to follow Christ. You're going to have difficulty in life. And I love that, um, and it actually is consistent with the message of Jesus. Think about all the people who come to Jesus and say, I want to follow you. And he says, uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. You sure you want to follow me? Uh, people come, I want to follow you. He's like, okay, good. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Jesus' message is, love me, prioritize me over everything. And then his disciples, as he's training them, he says, this is going to get you difficulty and suffering. And this verse right here is the one that God used in my life when I became a Christian because I never really understood this. Um, I never questioned the truth of Christianity, ever. I always knew it was true. I always knew God was real. But I actually wasn't willing to do any of those things that Jesus talked about. 
And uh, this, this verse, it just says Romans 12, 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Like, think about that. Dead people don't care if they suffer. So for you to be a faithful Christian, it starts by saying, I am a living sacrifice. Whatever Jesus wants me to do, I'll do. Whatever I have to give up, I'll give up. Because I love Jesus more than anything else in life. Uh, by the way, everybody says that. You, you, you would be hard-pressed to find a church that says Jesus is not the head of the church. What Jesus thinks is what matters. Um, find any Christian that says that. Almost nobody will actually verbalize that. But when you look about at the way people live and the choices that they make, and even in the church, when they're trying to figure out what their purpose is, they don't study scripture, they don't ask Jesus what he said the priorities ought to be, they just sit back and kind of brainstorm what they think they want. But this is the starting place for faithful Christian living, is that you are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And he goes on, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may, be, you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What God wants, seriously, it is always the best thing. And sometimes obeying God brings incredible earthly blessing, and sometimes it brings suffering, but either way, it is always what is best. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 11. Starts and it just says, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their city. So it's interesting. Jesus sends his disciples out to preach and teach. And then while they're going out, what does he do? He goes and preaches and teaches. It's interesting that preaching was the priority of John the Baptist's ministry. It was a priority of Jesus' ministry. It was his priority in training his disciples. And it's actually the priority that's given to the church. Um, to teach is to explain and to preach. That's to proclaim. And this is what Paul says to the church. He just says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So we're going to do some public reading of Scripture today. But that's actually, we're just told, devote yourself to that. And it's interesting how in many ministries, the Word of God is actually not the main thing. In many Christian lives, the Word of God is not the main thing, even though that's what the Bible says here. Okay, so um, let's jump into verse 2, and we're going to see that Christian character can bring struggle in this life. Look at verse 2. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? So John is sitting in prison. Now think about John the Baptist and everything we've learned about him so far. He is sitting in prison and he sends word to Jesus saying, Okay, wait a second. Are you the Messiah? Are you actually the Messiah? Or should I be waiting for someone else? Does that question shock you? You kind of think to yourself, How could John the Baptist ask that question? And uh, let me just give you... Um, a few things. I mean, first of all, we know Jesus, or John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. An angel appeared to his dad and told him what his mission would be. He dedicated his whole life uh, to, to honoring Christ, lived out in the desert. 
And then when his ministry started, it says Matthew 3, 1. So we're going to go to Matthew 3 if you want to scroll over or flip there. Let's read a little bit about the background of John and figure out why is this so crazy that he says, is it really you? In those days, John the Baptist, this is uh, Matthew 3, 1, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when he's talking about Jesus, if you look at verse 11 of chapter 3, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John is talking about Jesus. And he says, I'm not even willing to untie his shoes. Like, does it seem like John knows who Jesus is? Well, let's, let's read some more. Um, in verse 12, it goes on and it says, he's talking about the ministry of Jesus. And he just says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So he's just talking about that ministry of Jesus, of loving people and welcoming them and bringing them in, but the people who reject him will be cast into hell. Like that's what he's talking about here. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, think about this. John just said, Jesus, uh, should I be waiting for someone else? Um, and it says, and, be, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So John sees the heavens open. He sees the Holy Spirit coming and resting on Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Um, how do you go through that? How do you have that experience? Like everything in John's life, it points to Jesus. Everything he's learned from the time he's a kid, he has that incredible experience and then he says, Jesus, is it you or should we be waiting for someone else? Um, it's a pretty, pretty significant thing. So it starts back in John chapter 4, verse 12. So if you just flip up a little bit, um, John ends up getting arrested by Herod. And we find out, we'll find this, we'll read about this later uh, this morning. But he gets arrested because he preaches a message that Herod doesn't like. And it's interesting because in verse Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And now when he, which is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. So, so John is Jesus' forerunner. He's preaching. He's faithful. He's doing all the things. And John's looking forward to this Messiah who's going to come and defeat the enemy. And, um, and John's preaching and being faithful, and he gets thrown in, in, in jail. And what does Jesus do? Like, what would you do? If, you know, you're, you're the king and your forerunner gets thrown into jail, you'd go get him out of jail, right? Or, or maybe would you go visit him in jail and say, hey, John, it's good. It's all good. You're going to be all right. Like, would you go visit him? 
You know, what this verse says, it shows us actually that Jesus cared about John. When he hears that John gets arrested, he goes away quietly by himself, but he doesn't actually go to John. Do you know why? Because Jesus' purpose, Jesus is not there to point to John and to take care of John and to, and to cater to John and to kind of allow that to function. Jesus has a purpose, and John's life is to serve Jesus. Jesus' life is not to serve John. Um, the, the whole, Jesus' whole ministry, he's the priority. And, but, but for John, he's like, okay, I'm in prison. This is not what I expected. I'm expecting that um, Jesus is going to come and fix everything. In fact, John probably thought about Ezekiel 34, 11, and 12, where it just says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's going among his sheep that have been scattered. So John's like, okay, wait a second, the Messiah's coming, and he's going to actually go get the sheep and gather them around. So I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And um, John's just looking at his own life, and he says, the Messiah's not here taking care of the sheep. I'm one of the sheep. And so this is very difficult for him. He's expecting the Pharisees to be overthrown and the Romans to be overthrown. But what we find out is, is biblically, when you consider the Bible, that this was part of God's purpose, was that Jesus would be rejected, that John's message would be rejected, and that's so that salvation could come to the Gentiles. But this is interesting. Let's, let's consider how Jesus response to John. So that's the first thing. He's struggling. Life is not making sense. He's faithful and he's suffering. And what does he do? He does the right thing. He does the right thing. He turns to Jesus and Scripture during his struggles. But that's interesting, that and Scripture. Well, I'll show you that. So this is how Jesus responds. By the way, if you're Jesus, how are you going to respond? Hey, um, John, didn't, don't you remember when you baptized me and God spoke, like, out of heaven and you saw the Holy Spirit? It's interesting, like, I, if it was me, that's what I would say. But it is interesting that Jesus does not ultimately appeal to John's ex personal experience. He's actually going to point him back to Scripture and just even remind him who he is. But even as, even as Jesus points John to himself, he actually does it through Scripture. That's interesting. I'm surprised. It's not the way I would have done this. Of course, I'm not Jesus, so we know his ways better. But Jesus answered them. These are uh, John's disciples. And he says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers, are, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And then he says, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Um, Jesus starts by just saying, hey, just go tell John what you see me doing, and remind him that people that are, are blessed, if they're not offended by me. So Jesus ultimately is going to point John to himself. Um, and blessed is he who's not offended by me. You know, Jesus is a stumbling block. Everybody thinks, oh man, just preach Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. If we could be more like Jesus, everybody would love him. Except that Jesus was hated and crucified. And the Bible tells us that, that we preach Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to Gentiles, and, and Jews reject Jesus too when we, when we preach him. And so he's, he, um, Jesus a lot of times is offensive, but people are blessed if they're not offended by Jesus. But I just want to say this, if you preach Jesus and nobody's offended, you're not preaching him correctly. You're not, you're not, uh, there are many people who never offend anybody with Jesus, but they don't ever say what Jesus said. They don't ever talk about the real Jesus of the Bible. They kind of imagine their own Jesus, and they preach that, and then no one's offended. But it, blessed are the people who are not offended by Jesus, so he points to himself. But some of these other things that he's saying here, you know, we see in Luke that Jesus does something unique. Because when those disciples come and they say, um, hey, Jesus, are you the one? This is what John's asking. It actually tells us that right in that hour, Jesus says, go tell John what you see, and then he does a ton of miracles. Let me read this. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist, this is Luke 7, 20. I'll put it on the screen so you don't have to look it up. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Verse 21, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Um, you remember the times that Jesus would go places and people said, hey, do miracles for us. We, we want you to do miracles for us. In fact, we're going to find out that Herod kills John. And one of the things that Herod is so excited about putting Jesus on trial because he's hoping he'll see a miracle. And by the way, Jesus won't talk to Herod and he does no miracles for Herod. He doesn't do miracles for anybody who demands it. But for John, Jesus loves him and he does miracles for him. And then says, okay, go back and tell him what you see. Um, and this is the thing that's so encouraging, is that John goes, nothing in my experience is working out. Nothing that I expected is working out. This is not how I thought things would go. And then Jesus says, go tell him this. And John thinks about Scripture. And he is encouraged because he realized, oh, okay, are you the Messiah? Actually, what you just did is what the Bible says the Messiah is going to do. In um, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf, deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like, leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Um, John then thinks about Scripture. Isn't that amazing that Jesus doesn't show up to encourage John, and he just says, go tell him this, and he knows John's going to know, okay, that's in Scripture. Um, I think that's a pretty good encouragement for us, that if Scripture was what John needed, Scripture is what we need. Um, we, we can't go uh, sit and personally watch the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus, and we can't personally hear the voice of God, but we can read about it in the Bible. And the Bible is significant, and it's how G God points people to himself. So this is the third thing that I think is just really encouraging in this, is that Christians have God's approval during their struggles. Um, Jesus at that time doesn't stop and say, let me go and encourage John. Let me go talk to him. Let me encourage him. He doesn't do that. Jesus just sends the disciples back and Jesus continues on his way, his purpose, his ministry. Do you know why? Because life is about Jesus and Jesus has a purpose and life isn't about anyone else. 
And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, that he doesn't meet us, that he doesn't send people to rescue us, or that there's never times that, that God himself reaches out and cares for you. But one of the big problems in the Christian life is there's a lot of people who think that Jesus is here for me. And they, for, for, they forget Colossians 1.16 that says that everything was made by Jesus and for Jesus. The book of Job doesn't make any sense. Because Job's a faithful, righteous person, and he suffers. Except that God says um, that when Job's suffering brings him glory, then Job should suffer. And when you look at the New Testament apostles, and they were cast into prison, and they were beaten and abused, they walked out of jail saying, it is a privilege that I was able to suffer for Christ. And yet we have a Christianity that's full of people that think, Jesus, your job is to make my life perfect and comfortable and make sure I have a nice house and a big, big house and a nice car and plenty of money and that I don't get sick and everything in life goes well. And then when that doesn't happen, they're, they're upset. And, and what I think is even funny beyond that is you have a bunch of Christians who they don't even know what God says. And even if they do know, they don't obey it. And then when they suffer, they say, why me? But it's important for us to understand that life is about Jesus. But even in the midst of struggle, we have God's blessing, God's care, God's love. And if you're like John the Baptist and you're suffering and it's not God's discipline, you have God's love. But guess what? All those Christians that disregard what God says and they suffer, you want to know what Hebrews 12 says? It says that God disciplines those whom he loves. So if you've ignored Jesus and you have suffering in your life and difficulty that's a consequence of disobeying God and things kind of go wrong in your life, it's because God loves you. He's just tapping you on the shoulder and he's saying, come on back. Come on back to me. Let me, let me help you. Um, when you're a believer, God loves you and you have God's approval. Look what it says, John, Jesus, after all these things, John's suffering, Jesus doesn't say, oh man, you're so lame, how could you question me, how could you be struggling? He doesn't say any of that. He encourages him, and then he says this in verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? That's just to say, John's not just flapping around by the wind. John's message was powerful. He was a man of conviction. He confronted the Pharisees. He pointed people to Jesus. He was a powerful man of, of conviction. So this is a great con compliment. He's just saying he was not this reed shaken by the wind. Verse 8, uh, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft, soft clothing? Uh, behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Um, John was motivated by right motivation. Uh, he wasn't in it for what he could get. Uh, soft clothing, that's a signal of riches and royalty. Now, the Bible tells us the Pharisees loved respectful greetings and they were lovers of money. Um, then in verse 9, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. You know, um, John was a prophet and he spent his life in ministry pointing people to Jesus. By the way, there is no better place that any Christian could be than to be a person who is pointing people to Christ. That's, that's, if you're respected, if you're well off, 
If you have people that care about you and listen to you, there's one reason. It's like the church and Christians. It's, it's like uh, that whole thing. You had one job. And that's to present the gospel, to glorify Christ, to point to Christ. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And, and, and John, the Baptist, said, I must decrease and he must increase. And, and actually it said that that caused him joy, that Jesus was increasing and he was decreasing. Um, look at verse 11. John, his whole life and ministry was affirmed. He says, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus affirms John, even though he's struggling. But Jesus says something else right here that is, again, a reminder of why we exist. You know, we're not here just to like each other and be nice. And by the way, if you function correctly, you actually do love people properly. When you love Jesus, you love others. But we're not, a, we're not, a, we're not the Boy Scouts. We're not some, some organization. We are about the gospel. We're about salvation and people actually having a relationship with God. Not religion, about salvation. And this is the interesting thing that Jesus says here is he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Um, Jesus, remember when his disciples, he sent his disciples out and they came back and they were so excited. Hey, we cast out demons and we did this and, and, and we healed people and it was just so amazing. And what does Jesus say to them? Don't be happy about that. Be happy that your names are written in the book of life. Be happy that you're a Christian. You want to know something? Your standing before God ultimately is the only thing that matters. And the standing of the people you know and love is the only thing that matters. If, um, if we raise people to be successful in earthly things and they don't know the, the Lord, it is a 100% waste. There's one thing that matters. That's what we work toward. That's what we pray for. And, and that's why God has put us here. And uh, verse 12, Jesus is going to talk about persecution. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. He who has ears, let him hear. That's kind of a, a challenging thing there, if you are willing to accept that he's Elijah. Because here's the thing, that the kingdom of heaven was offered to the Jews. And had they accepted Elijah, and, and, or John the Baptist, had they accepted his message, had they believed in Jesus, Jesus would have brought in his kingdom. But they rejected Jesus, and it's interesting, even Judas betrays Jesus. And, and when that's described in Acts chapter 2, it says that he was a wicked man who betrayed Jesus. The Jews personally rejected Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God's sovereign and nobody, nobody gets to make any choices. Uh, you're just a robot. Nothing you do matters. No, personal responsibility is always laid on the shoulders of people. They rejected Jesus, which is why the kingdom didn't come. But in that passage about uh, um, Judas betraying Jesus, it says, by the predetermined plan of God. And God was sovereign in this. And it was a genuine offer of the kingdom, but it was not God's plan at that time. And so you can't take God's sovereignty out of that either. This was God's plan. 
And by the way, in Romans, it's explained to us why the Jews rejected Jesus. You know why? It was for you and me. Uh, we're the reason that they rejected Jesus. It's, it was God's intention to bless us in that way. Romans 11, 11, So I ask, did they, talking about the nation of Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their inclusion mean? Um, God loves us. He has a plan of salvation to save everybody. Um, look at verse 16. Um, there's this challenge that, that you need to hear this message. Verse 16 says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Um, you wonder like, wait, what? <laughs> He's talking about all this stuff and then he starts talking about singing, dancing, and dirges and mourning. Um, he's just saying that it, what Jesus is saying here is they did not respond appropriately to what was in front of them. And that when you play, um, when you play, uh, um, um, I just forgot the word. When you play the flute, that's a, that's a happy time you're supposed to dance. When you play a dirge, that's a funeral time you're supposed to mourn. And they were unable to look at what was in front of them and respond appropriately. And do you want to know why? It's because they were hard-hearted. Uh, look, look what it says here in verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by our deeds. You want to know something? People throw out all kinds of excuses. Oh, I don't like Jesus because of this. I don't like the church because of this. I don't like this because of that. What it comes down to is that if you have a hard heart, you'll come up with an excuse. Have you seen that in politics at all? Um, like where if person A does something, Half, half of our country says, we hate them, that was terrible, that was evil. And then one of their politicians does it, and all of a sudden it's fine. And by the way, that works, it doesn't matter what public, what, which political party you, you have, that goes both ways. And you want to know what it tells you? It's not really about that issue. It's about a personal agenda. And when people reject Christ, it's never about whatever the stated thing is. It's because they, they have a personal agenda. And if you change whatever that is, they're going to reject it anyway unless you actually change the gospel itself, which is why we proclaim the truth. And we hope people will believe in Jesus and follow him, but we don't change it to try to bring more people in. They were looking for an excuse to ignore. Now here's the, the final point here is that John had a heavenly hope. He had a heavenly hope. And the story of John the Baptist, it doesn't, like it's not this exciting end in a sense. I mean, it kind of is. But let's, let's read what ends up happening. Matthew chapter 14, skip over there. And this is what it says. Matthew 14 says, At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. This is how clueless Herod was. 
he thought Jesus was the reincarnation of John the Baptist. But here's this other thing, like just as a side note for everyone, and it was something that really stood out to me. Did you know that John the Baptist never did a single miracle? Nothing. All he did was preach. And, and his preaching was so powerful that Jesus is raising people from the dead. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. I mean, Jesus had a powerful ministry, but John the Baptist's ministry was so powerful that when people see Jesus, when Herod sees Jesus, he thinks it's John the Baptist reincarnated. Um, even though John never did a single miracle. And um, it's interesting how powerful it was. And I'm not going to raise any dead people and all that stuff, but God's word's powerful. And, and for you and for all of us, that's our main thing. Let's read the Bible and then let's explain it. And then, then we're going to understand what happened with John. John was a faithful man and he preached. And, and in verse 3 it says, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. So, um, Herod, you know, this is funny too. A lot of people feel like, oh yeah, no, don't expect unbelievers to live like believers. Don't, don't preach to people who are not Christians. But guess what John did, this faithful man? He proclaimed the truth and he, he told Herod, dude, you're in sin. Like what you're doing is wrong. Basically what happened is Herod took a trip with, with his brother and maybe his brother's wife, but his brother's wife was there and they decided they liked each other. So he divorced his wife and married his brother's wife. And um, I'm sure Herod was just thinking, John, um, there's crowds going out to hear you preach. And guess what? I'm not one of them. I'm not coming out to hear what you have to say. I never asked for your opinion. And John shows up, preaches to him, tells him what you're doing is wrong. And, and the Bible tells us in verse 5, it says Herod hated him so much he wanted to kill him. It says in verse 5, and though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. So he's this governor, this ruler, and he's got other concerns. Yes, I, want to, I hate him. Yes, I want to kill him. But if I do, maybe that gets me overthrown, so I can't do it. So instead, he just threw him in prison. Now, his wife, his brother's wife, who's now his wife, actually cared less about his kingdom, and she was a little more mad at John. And so let's read about that. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, so now it goes to Herodias, the one who he said you can't marry her. Prompted by her mother, he said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he commanded it to be given. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mom. Like, picture that happening at a party in your house. There's a head there. You know, interesting thing, you know, you think about social pressure. And, and in our country, you know, we don't, we don't face persecution. Uh, there are places in the world where if you're a faithful Christian, if you show up to church, like we have all this, you know, COVID-19 things and all that kind of stuff and, and church. And by the way, I am 100% in favor of being careful and, and staying home and watching on TV. I'm, a, I'm in favor of that. But there's actually a lot of places where um, COVID-19 is not going to kill you. Your neighbors are. And if you show up to church, they may come grab you in the middle of the night, drag you outside and cut your head off. There are people who risk their life to go to church. 
And in this case, um, you just think about social pressure. Social pressure gets John the Baptist killed. And, and you think about the social pressure that's happening. None of us are going to get dragged out, most likely, in the, in the middle of the night. But there is a mounting social pressure not to be faithful to Christ. And social pressure is pretty powerful. So social pressure got him killed, but ultimately his faithful preaching got him killed. He said some things that people didn't like, and that caused him to end his life. And, um, you know, I think about the Apostle Paul, and this is where our eternal destiny is actually what drives and motivates us and is what is most significant. So the Apostle Paul is caught up into heaven. I don't know if you guys remember that, but the Apostle Paul is caught up into heaven, and God gives him a glimpse of heaven, but tells him you're not allowed to go tell anybody about it. But I think that that probably drove and motivated Paul throughout his ministry. It's like he saw what heaven was like and he lived for it. He says this in Philippians 1.21. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Um, he was motivated and driven by eternity. And so in this situation, um, John loses his life. Um, he ends up being beheaded. And it says in verse 12, And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. That's the same way he responded when John got put in prison. See, Jesus knew all this stuff was going to happen. But, but that was an incredible blessing uh, for John. God said, you had an 18-month month ministry, and it was powerful. And now it's time for you to come home. Um, from an earthly perspective, his life didn't work out too well. But ultimately, his life worked out perfectly. And his, him, his leaving of this life was like the best thing that could happen to him. Now, I'm just kind of curious, as we think about these things, is our personal purpose to point people to Christ? Is that what we exist for? Is that what we do? Is that what we're passionate about? Um, do we look to God's word for Jesus's marching orders? Do we just say, Jesus, I want to say what you said. So I'm going to study it. I'm going to read it. And when I hear what you say, that's what I'm going to tell people. Uh, are we people who go, okay, well, let's figure out what the church should be. Um, well, let me see. Let me just like sit in my room and brainstorm and kind of imagine some things I'd like. Uh, maybe I could read some books on church growth, or maybe I could go read some leadership things and figure out what the church should be like. Or do we take a step back and say, hey, Jesus, this is your church. What do you say it's supposed to be like? And if we were to make a list, of, if you were to make a list of what you want in the church, what verse is attached to the things that you say you want? Because if the church belongs to Jesus, he says what it's like. It's not about what we want. It's about what he wants. And that's what drove and motivated John. Is that what drives us? The gospel, pleasing Jesus, pleasing the Lord. Is that what drives us? Does eternity inform our today? Like when you think about your kids, when you think about your neighbors, when you think about the people who walk through the door on Sunday morning at church, when we're walking through the door, um, when you think about those people, are you thinking about eternity? Or are we wrapped up in 
um, our comfort, our pleasure, our happiness, whatever our personal opinions are. Like, what drives us? And then I have another question, and that's this. If you would say, okay, maybe I'm not John the Baptist. Maybe actually I care whether or not I have a house and a job. Those things are very motivating to me. And you know what? There's a lot of people that actually, I don't know how they're doing spiritually. I don't really care because they don't matter to me actually that much. So if you, if you just say, yeah, okay, that's my life. That's the way I live it. I, I care more about what I'm doing for fun than people's eternal destiny. So if that is you, and, um, and I'll just tell you, I mean, that has been me. And every once in a while, I start getting pulled that way even now. So, like, I'm, I'm not John the Baptist, but I want to be. And, and I just want to ask you, um, what does it take for you to build personal character so that you'll actually be like John the Baptist? Like, what has to happen for that to take place? That you can be like Daniel and his friends who were exalted in Babylon to this really high position because they were faithful to God and God blessed everything they did, but who were just as happy to be thrown into a lion's den. God, you've given me everything. And when the king says, I can't pray, actually, I don't care what the king has. I don't care about his riches. I don't care what he has to give me. I just care about pleasing you. And so what does it take to be a person like Daniel who can enjoy the blessings of living in RSM. I was just thinking about, do we ever get persecuted? I was thinking, man, I could walk over to RSM Lake anytime and walk around it. That's like paradise. You know, what kind of suffering do we face around here? Can we enjoy the blessing that God, is, that God has given us without, becoming, without living for it? How do you become that person like John the Baptist? How does that happen? And um, another question, what does it take for a church to produce people like that. When people come into our church family, um, how is it that we influence and coach and encourage so that we have people that care more about Jesus than the car they drive and the house they have and whether or not people like them or not? And they're loving and they're gracious and they genuinely love people, but they actually are desiring to please Jesus. What does a church do how do we go about producing people like that? And then an even more important question. If you're a mom and a dad, how does a family produce kids like that? Like, what do you do? What are the steps that encourage and result in somebody who grows up and says, I work hard not for a bigger house and a better car. I work so that people will respect me and I can tell them about Jesus. And if I have to sacrifice it all, I happily wave goodbye to it. What does that take? Um, because actually, as we think about church and we think about life, those are actually the questions that we need to answer. And um, I'm going to give you a hint. They're all in the Bible. So... Um, you know, we're going to just take a moment right now, and I want to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that Christianity is not um, performance-based? Christianity is not, if I'm good enough, then Jesus loves me. No, Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and even when you fail, he loves you. That's why he died on the cross. Um, so uh, on the floor in front of you is, is a cup or underneath your chair, so let's grab that and just remember what Jesus did in bringing us salvation 
And let's just celebrate that and be thankful for that. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's eat the bread and let's drink the cup. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. Lord, you went to the cross, you loved us, you died for us, you had us in mind as you went to the cross. And Lord, our standing before you is never based on our performance, it's based on your righteousness, what you accomplished for us. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to love you and to value you over everything else in life. In your name. Amen.